Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In by Kulisevsky. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man who won't stop going on about second balls. It's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Two is important, in my opinion. Check your balls. Um, <laughs> aside from that, happy happy birthday, Nathan. <laughs> Just, yeah, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful segue. Yes, thank you. Like, I'm getting towards the age where I really ought to be checking my balls on a regular basis, right? Is that? Yeah, and that links as well. Nice. Smooth. <laughs> not smooth, actually, but let's not get into that right now. <laughs> uh, Buddy, how are you? You missed, you missed our pre- chat last week. Yeah, I was um, listening along, running along the canals in Amsterdam, start seething a little bit and like, look at these two going after my manager <laughs> and saying all this stuff. And I had no way to come back at you. I wish I'd sent a 45 minute voice right now. <laughs> Because it was unfair. You guys got to listen to it and then go after it. And I had no response. And I hate not being able to respond. Mm. I knew you'd hate it. Yeah. Um, which made it even more enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> I know, because you're evil. No one, Wendy puts out this perception of being such a nice man, but he's actually evil deep down. We know that. That's why I have a little snake emoji next to him on WhatsApp. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, so which order should we do this? And let's start with Portsmouth. It's the most recent. It's uh, freshest in the memory. Um, I must admit to being a little surprised by the lineup. I thought we'd not go as strong as that. I thought maybe after the, the after what had been said by Stellini in the press conference, I thought maybe Kane would get a rest. But for who um, is the thing, right? Because that, those are well, our three fit forwards, basically. Right, but I think there was like an implication in there that Harvey White might come okay. in for Kane and uh, that, that would give him a rest. Maybe but, off the bench, I think, could have been the thinking there. Yeah, and I said to my... I was watching this with my parents, which has made a nice change. And uh, I said to my dad, you know, you know, the only way I can see Kane coming off is if we're, say, 3-0 up at half-time and then we can take him off and rest him. And it, it was never going to be likely in this game, I feel like. Portsmouth are always going to just defend with 11 men behind the ball. Um, but what did you make of the what did you make of the team sheet, um, Bardi? Obviously, Basuma was meant to start and then had to drop out due to injury, so Skip came in alongside Saar. 
I mean, I quite liked it. I wanted to see um, a bit more of Saar. I wanted to see a bit more of uh, Brian Hill. I was really keen to see Fraser Foster play. So um, I was all right with it. I would have preferred Kane and Son to get a bit of a rest, but it was a good opportunity for them to try and get some goals, which didn't kind of work out. But it, it was fine. I, I went to the game and it was a it was a strange atmosphere, which kind of probably didn't help the game either. It was the most silent I've seen a Tottenham stadium in a long, mm. long time. And I, I don't think that's really anything to do with any kind of feeling towards the club. I just think it was £20, £20 a ticket um, early in January. And it was it was full of, of, of strangers just not making much noise, which was, mm. which was weird. It, it gave it a pre-season friendly kind of vibe. It was very eerie in there. Mm. Mm. And I think the performance kind of lived up to that in a way. The performance was as flat as the atmosphere, I would say. Um, you know, Portsmouth did genuinely make it quite difficult. They were, they were stodgy. They got bodies behind the ball. They stayed in their shape pretty well. Um, I thought Brian Hill played quite well. I thought Saar played, was probably our best player, maybe. Um, the defence was all solid, rarely troubled. Son, a little did off did well key. some corners. Yeah, some- yeah. Forster's a good a good backup. I think Forster is the best backup keeper we've had in a fairly long, like maybe... Maybe he's our best backup keeper since we bought Brad Friedel and had Friedel and Lloris. Maybe Kudicini pushes him close. He was a good. He was pretty decent. But yeah, I think he's. I really like him. Um, I'm. I'm kind of a little bit for Hugo pulling a hammy, or I don't know. Goalkeepers very rarely pull a hammy, but maybe um, breaking a finger or two, <laughs> and then letting Forster have a go for a bit because I I kind of like him. I think he's calming. I think he's decent with his feet. Maybe his his shot stopping can be a bit weaker, but I just think he's. I think right now I feel a little bit more confident with him. So it, it was it was nice to see him play. I think uh, I'm not there with that, but I think that that is even in consideration is a pretty strong underlining of the the situation with Hugo Lloris now like to 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 from where he was even only a couple of years ago to um to at least some of us being all right with forced to spending some time over over in his place is uh it's pretty dramatic right yeah it is it's it, it's just a Lloris has just got too many black marks against his name recently and um I'm all for a little bit of a change mm. one thing I would say is Forster being so tall and dominant in the air means uh, set pieces. I tend to feel more confident with him in goal than I do with Luis. He's much more proactive on crosses, that's for sure. He'll come out. Luis, as he's getting older and older, has become more and more reactive on, on crosses and will kind of stay on his line. Forster will come out. He, he, I mean, he's massive mm. and he'll swing one of those fists at him. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. Like, Luis has certainly had some some poor performances recently. I thought he's quite good against Palace, to be honest. Uh, but gen- yeah. but generally, I, I've been underwhelmed by Lloris in the past few months. Um, I mean, it's pretty obvious that we need to replace him, and we'll definitely talk about that a little later because we've been linked with some some goalkeepers. Um, aside from aside from that, let's talk a little about um, Pat Matasar, who I think I think it's fair to say that he's 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 grabbed his chance with both hands. Like, I don't think. He could have done a lot more in this match to impress. I, I was really, I really liked his kind of assuredness. He he plays. He's one of those players that plays the game at his own pace. He doesn't ever look hurried. He has a really nice appreciation of space. He'll like he'll tap the ball into space uh, rather than keep it in his feet sometimes, which I like. Um, he did play a pass straight into touch early on, and I thought, oh god, is he going to have one of those games? And then he just pretty much recovered from that instantly. And I can't remember many other misplaced passes. If I'm honest, I thought he was really really decent with his both his accuracy and weighting of pass um few nice defensive pieces of work 
he doesn't faff around with the ball. He just kind of gets it moving. It's 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 quick. It's punchy. Kind of like what I see. So he he passes forward. He his ball recovery is really good. He reads a, a counter attack. They weren't offering much on the counter, but any time it kind of opened up, he was there sweeping up. He had a couple of shots, which were wayward, but it was a it, it showed intent. Yeah, you're right. He did have a, a wonky pass first half, but he recovered from that, and he was he was really nice, and he played really well against Palace as well. And um, it's nice to see him. And I think I think he's probably put himself in front of Skip in terms of uh, of order now, central midfielders. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, I I am impressed with him because I can see that he has clearly worked on what you mentioned. Actually, you mentioned it as a strength is him in taking the touch into space in the right way, having a good touch, getting the ball moving fast. Whereas even as recently as preseason, I think that that's been a significant weakness for him. Um, and uh, Stellini, is it? He spoke about that in he mentioned that in sort of in passing in the press conference. Um, which is interesting. And I think that, yeah, it's clear that he's worked on that. But I am not as high on him yet as I think most Spurs fans are. Um, I think there's a lot of excitement for him. And that's fine. You know, get excited. That's cool. I, I'm, I'm in favour of, of, of treating young players with excitement. Um, but I don't think he's near the starting 11. Um, I, I guess the thing is, it's like maybe he's outperformed Basuma's level this season. Right, but that's not like the player that we should be getting out of Bissouma. He's not yeah, close yeah. to Bissouma at Brighton at all. Yeah, I don't think. Um, so I still have s- some concerns, but I'm, I'm really glad to see him developing on his weaknesses. Um, I think he's definitely got a bright future ahead of him. I'm just not like um, I'm not calling him for him to get loads and loads of minutes off our other midfielders just yet, to be honest. But I mean, I'd put him at number four out of the five. No. Is that that's that's a fair place to put. Give them He's below Basuma, but in front of Skip. Yeah, well, I think Skip has come back the last couple of games and looked pretty rusty, and I think that his level is a little higher than that. Um, but yeah, I, I guess he's sort of yeah, maybe on a par with Skip, something around that. Yeah, I thought Skip looked really rusty against Portsmouth. To be honest, I liked him in the first few in the first twenty minutes against Palace. I thought he played some really nice punchy forward passes, and then he really faded in that game and looked quite rough defensively. Uh, in this game, I was just kind of generally unimpressed by Skip. Mm-hmm. But I also think that is pretty much completely understandable given how long he's not played for. Um, and, due to you know, injury. We've, due to injury. We, we've we've seen Skip play for Spurs at a higher level than this. We've seen Skip play for Norwich at a much higher level than this. So I think it's reasonable to assume that Skip will improve and probably improve quite quickly. Um the other player that I think it's definitely worth touching upon here and we can kind of bring in the, the Palace game as well is is Brian Hill, who, again, I would say was absolutely grabbed the opportunity with both hands. Like there's been a lot of scepticism around Brian Hill from Conte uh, as well as fans. And he's looked really, really decent as as a cover player for Kulisevsky. He's good. Dude. Agreed. He's good. He's like, he's, he's. He having a player who can do the things that Kulusevski and Hill can do is just so completely imperative to not just yeah. the way that we play football, the way that Conte plays football, that every team needs a player like this, especially teams who want a good share of the ball. Mm. Um, but even beyond that, we've got to have a player like this. And Hill is good, man. He's good. And and it's like I I feel two opposing emotions at once. I'm really glad 
really glad that he's seen the pitch now. I'm really glad that he's taken his chance. I'm really glad that Conte is speaking well of him. But I'm really fucking frustrated that it's taken this long to happen because he's yeah. good. And I get that he spent that time working on his physicality and working around his physicality and developing those things, but he could still have been seeing the pitch in this time more than he did do. And um, mm-hmm. if Lucas was fit, he probably wouldn't have done. And that, that, <laughs> yeah, that's that exactly it. me, right? So, yeah, I mean, the fact that it's like, We've been going through September, November, October, right? Like December, like January's coming up. We're going to get a backup. January's coming up. We're going to get a backup. We need a backup to Kulusevski. January's going to be all about getting a backup to Kulusevski. And then like January comes along. He'll start two games. He's really strong. He's not going to go on loan. Maybe we don't need a backup after all. It's like we've lost half a season when we could have been playing Hill. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. I was saying... Life is like that. Life is like this, man. Football football happens. Gareth Bale, Harry Kane, they're all examples of individuals who who weren't given the the kind of easy route into first-team football. Something had to happen further down the line for for them to go in, whether it was manager ineptitude or whether it was player ineptitude. Sometimes that's just the way it is. Sometimes there needs to be a series of of events that just occur and then someone pops through and it happens. Yeah, I was saying this to Spooky that um, it did remind me of um, Pochettino's use of Kane. Like, I remember at the time feeling like Kane was ready for appearances mm. and he wasn't getting them and he wasn't getting them and he wasn't getting them and then suddenly Soldado and Adebayo are injured at the same time and Kane plays and Kane's brilliant and it feels like Conte has kind of got quite lucky here in that he's been forced to play Hill and Saar and suddenly he's got two players who are absolutely viable squad options to rotate with our players and to allow rest to key players you know Hill can play both sides, so that means potential for Son to get a rest, even with Richarlison out. Um, it means we've got cover for Kulusevski. Saar is competent enough to alleviate some of the pressure on Bentancur and Hoybier, and goodness knows Hoybier needs some 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 games off. Um, and Conte's kind of he's luck he's locked out. Um, why is this luck? Why 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 is this luck? Because he could have he, because he could have played them before now and already been using them and and like Nathan says, were Lucas fit, Hill wouldn't have played. Were Basuma fit, um, Saar wouldn't have played. Were you know? Th- th- I don't know, man. I think I think you're just using it as a stick to beat Conte with. He if he didn't want him, they would have been gone like Endon Belly and Lacelso. Well, Hill, Hill was going to be loaned out until the until these injuries happened. But he wasn't. But he wasn't, so he's part of the squad. So I don't think you can be call, call someone lucky for having someone within this squad. I mean, I think Hill wouldn't have been in his squad had had in a couple of weeks. Not, yeah, like I think he would have been loaned out to Spain again, which I think would have been a terrible decision, by the way. And I don't blame Conte for that. I blame Paratici. I think sending him back back out on loan to Spain would have been an absolutely pointless move. But I'm just really happy we've got them now as options. I'm especially happy. I mean, I really rate Brian Hill so highly I think there's so much ability there um I really really like his uh creative passing I like his I think he's got an excellent touch mm-hmm. like there's no doubt that he gets he gets muscled off the ball but like the way he he moves his body means that he can quite easily wriggle away from pressure a lot and I think that'll stand him in good stead in terms of learning how to to wriggle wriggle out of those sort of physical situations um but I also really like his pressing and I think that makes him future-proof as well. Like if we change manager at any point and bring in a, a pressing manager that's kind of front foot, you know, if, if we do go back to Pochettino or if we do bring in someone like Potter um, as our next manager, Hill will fit in beautifully in in a different system. So I do think he's like a, a really good 
long-term signing for us and uh, I'm really pleased that we've got him in the squad and I'm excited to see what he can do. I think he's a, he's a high-level, high-potential player. I mean, I, I did smile there when you, when you mentioned Potter. We're going to go. We're going to hire another <laughs> sack Chelsea manager. What's that? Yeah, we can't go back to a Chelsea yeah. manager, can we? No, come on. We're done with Chelsea managers now. But I, I did say in the summer, when, when all the other players were throwing up and collapsing after running, doing those runs in, in Korea, Brian Hill was the only one still standing, which I thought was a good sign. He The, the boy can run and the boy's got energy and he's got drive and he's got desire. Mm. The question mm. mark was always his um, his physicality. But if he's able to, to use his small stature and his speed and his strength to to like to be able to help him get through defenders rather than almost yeah, yeah. inviting the challenge but getting the, to the ball first and touching it away from him. like we like you saw in um, Kane's first goal against Palace then he's got a great future he's got um he's got he's got a nice touch and he's got that intensity and I I do think he'll play more and more as the season goes on yeah and I really do think that he will be useful for the end of matches to yeah. to bring on and like make make sure of the result um which is a really really nice option to have um. Let's talk a little bit about Son. So he scored against Palace, and I think a lot of people were like, okay, this is the start of Son being Son of old again. I was not impressed with Son against Pompey. No. That guy is struggling so much right now. He is so in his own head. He's taken too long to get the ball out of his feet, especially in shooting areas where he would normally just touch and hit it. Mm. He's now overthinking it, and he's allowing bad defenders to get close to him. Players like um, your boy from back in the day, um, Ogilvy. He was he. That's the former Spurs player, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He played. He played pretty well. I thought he did all right. Could throw a ball as well. Yeah, yeah. And 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 worse than that, um, Zach Swanson, who was playing right back for Portsmouth, is an ex-Arsenal youth player. Um, okay. Absolutely pocketed Son, I thought, to be honest. There was one occasion where Son had Swanson one-on-one and I just knew he wasn't going to beat him. Just like the Son of old, you expecting him to hit the byline then maybe cut in and get a cross in. I just knew he wasn't going to get around Swanson. Could tell. Like the body shape wasn't right, the the way he was moving. He just looked unsure of himself. Um, And sure enough, yeah, Swanson beats him in the one-on-one. And it was just sad. Sad to see. And I think... Honestly, I think he needs to be taken out for a few games. Just like have a reset. Obviously, that's not going to happen against Arsenal and, and Man City, but I think it's what he needs at this point. Yeah, that that Portsmouth team was a bit like playing football manager from like 2010, 2011 with um, Ogilvy and Tunny Cliff as well in central midfield. <laughs> it's like all these once upon a time like prospects just ended up in in League One. Yeah, they didn't offer much today, Portsmouth. No. Uh, what was the atmosphere like, Bardi? Was there was there much anti Levy chanting? I heard one anti-Levy chant which started and then just faded away immediately. Um, there wasn't many songs anyway, so if someone did start up a Levy chant, you would have heard it. But there was there was very little, honestly. There was very little anything. I, so the, I think the return of the shelf side tried to get a singing section going, but that died. That was that was impossible. Like it's really hard to do that. We kind of mm. know that from like the fighting cock days with eighteen eighty two movement. It's really difficult to to get that started. And in a stadium with sixty thousand people, it was even harder. It was tough at at White Hart Lane with just thirty six. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the atmosphere, as I said at the start, it was it was weird. It was pre-season. It was eerie. And there was a lot of Portsmouth fans making a lot of noise. And Harry Kane moves to one goal behind Jimmy Greaves. I mean, I, I almost sort of don't think it's worth talking about because he's going to break the record and he's going to fast surpass the record. Uh, and, and that's that. So it's like, I don't think it's a massive talking point, to be honest. I think like the achievement is everything that's happened so far, not what happens now. Um, but that goal from Kane was so impressive. 
ridiculous. Like the, it basically felt to me like Kane was like, right, I've had enough now. Let's just get this, let's get yeah. the show on the road. I love it when he takes responsibility like that and just is so assertive in the situations. It's it's great to see. Really classy he dropped, finishing. He was dropping really deep in the second half, trying to get on the ball. I mm. still think some of his passing was a little bit wayward, and he missed a few opportunities on on the counter attack. But he's yeah. just a class apart from everybody else. I totally agree. By the way, um, really poor pass selection on the counter several times from Kane. Yeah, really. Uh, yeah, really, really poor pass selection, which is very unlike him. Uh, but Bardi is absolutely right that Kane was dropping deep a lot more against Portsmouth and against Palace, which is interesting, Nathan, because you and I were talking about how he's been staying in the box a lot more recently. Yes, uh, and we also had um, some some stats on the Athletics Tactics podcast from Mark Carey. You mentioned it's got his, his three balls per ninety gone down from zero point six six to zero point two per ninety from this season, uh, last season to this. Um, very other, other statistics can be found on FBRF pointing to similar kind of patterns. Mm. Um, yeah, I uh, I rewatched the Palace game um, this afternoon, so I thought it was quite interesting. Because the first fifteen minutes of the game um, was quite similar to everything we've been seeing so far this season, which is worrying. Um, sort of, I described it as two way struggle ball. Right, two teams playing mid-block against each other, two teams trying to attack quite directly and just losing possession back and forth, and Palace doing better than Tottenham in contesting the second ball. Big problem, right? And then around the 15-minute mark, Kane starts coming towards the play a lot more, um, and there's a there's a, a sort of 10-minute spell of good play where Spurs are getting through Palace's mid-block and, and even managing to sustain a couple of attacks in Palace's final third i link a couple of them together um at that point sort of around 25 minutes palace start pressing much higher um and and again dominating loose balls in midfield um and then spurs get pinned back for pretty much the rest of the half um with a couple of counter attacks that lead to a couple of longer spells of possession just before the end of the first half so a pretty i'm i remember feeling good about that or feeling decent about that first half at the time, but watching it back, um, I think there's a lot of worrying signs in that half. Um, second half, um, doing the same thing, looking to play into Kane's feet in sort of advanced midfield. Palace recognising that, wanting to prevent midfielders from turning and pressing high. And then what starts to happen, or not even starts to happen, what happens immediately is what looks to me like a clear decision at half time is to start just hoofing the ball <laughs> way up the pitch every time Palace pressed with our midfielders commit forward and our forwards dropping off Palace's back line and then this time it's Spurs who are winning the second ball um, because you've got sort of like a five versus three or so in that sort of um, area of Palace's midfield and that's all four goals all four goals I tweeted a thread a screenshots heavy thread of all four goals are um, yeah being pressed playing long, letting Palace win the first ball, swarming for the second ball and then attacking directly. And you can see the the sort of the uh, the Conteisms, uh, the patterns for the direct attacks and some pretty nice football. I thought Kane was outstanding, really just absolutely outstanding in that game. Um, and Hill weren't bad too. Yeah, it's uh, a nice football. So um, hmm, it's kind of interesting. Um, how So obviously I, I've done a lot of focus recently talking about competing for the second ball um 
and also mentioned sort of more in passing on Kane's not been dropping deep very much seems to be um, a tactical way of linking those things together of, of Kane dropping deeper and changing not how much the two teams are competing for loose balls, not how, how transitional all Conte games are, um, but where those things are happening and, and creating a situation where it's happening in an area where we have more players. And then once once we're winning possession, um, when the opposition are out of place, we're, we're still lethal. We're still maybe the best team in the world at taking advantage of that situation. Yeah, Ooh. I mean, it's... Um, Again, I came away from that game as a fan, putting four past past a decent Premier League team, thinking, "Wow, we've already turned a corner. This is significant." Watching back a four 0 victory and going, "Okay, we sort of worked out a couple of interesting tactical ideas, but there's still a sense of lethargy. There's still a sense of struggle. There's still an extended periods of time where we're not having the game the way we want it to be." And maybe that sort of striving to to perfection. Um, I definitely want to see how these things sort of develop over the next few games. Um, I didn't really pay much attention to the the Pompey game in case that wasn't obvious from my general lack of commentary on that game. Um, So yeah, but yeah, Kane Kane dropping deep, right? Um, Something we've not seen much this season, something we're seeing again now. Um, let me, let me let's break up me talking continuously for five minutes. Can you tell me your thoughts on that, please? No, I, I mean I think uh, just to talk about the Portsmouth match briefly again, uh, we didn't see the same patterns because we had a lot more sustained attacks. Sure. Um, partly because Portsmouth was sitting so deep, but also partly because we were really quite aggressive in the counter press. Um, mm. Tanganga was really helpful actually in helping to maintain continued pressured attacks. Um, like. Aggressive. Sometimes a little too aggressive, Tanganga, can be very rash. But when you want to maintain pressure, that is very helpful um, when it works well. Uh, because it means you're you're winning the ball back early and you can con- continue to cir- circulate the ball around the edge of the box. Obviously, we can get into the box in very dangerous situations very often, but we were winning the ball back quickly and then having possession. Um, not many long balls at all, I would say, against Portsmouth. Uh, but yes, absolutely, completely agree. In the second half against Palace, really noticeable that Kane was dropping deep and seeing a lot more of the ball and I think probably maybe gave his best performance of the season. Yeah, probably, probably. So it's an interesting one to think about like on a, on a theoretical level, like why has this happened? So I think like um, Conte has has seen how much Kane's used deeper areas, you know, back to Mourinho um, under Nuno too, even before that, um, and heavily utilised that last season um, to great success, especially Sun thrives off that. And I think that's a talking point that's worth addressing when it comes to Sun's form. Uh, the, the biggest one, to be honest. Um, and then this season, he's gone, let's be less predictable. Let's not rely so much on Kane on build-up. Let's... You know, my other teams didn't have a, a, a massively playmaking forward. We can recreate this through through our pattern play, through other technical players. So let's let's mix this up. Let's have Kane leading the line a little more. We'll go through Sun a bit more. <laughs> um and we're gonna get Kane loads and loads of goals. And yeah, Kane's been scoring more goals this season. He's quietly been scoring goals at an absolutely outrageous rate again this yeah. season. Yeah. Um a very significant number of them being headed some crosses. Um, cool <laughs> but I think um, if you combine Sun's technical deficiencies in, in midfield play and Kulisewski's absences um, with Kane excluding himself from build-up play you've got a lot of problems there and I think that 
I respect the idea. I think I think um, like the the hesitancy to change something that's working, I think is is detrimental. You have to continuously reinvent yourself. You have to question things, even things that are succeeding. You have to continually look to develop around and diversify how you're doing things. So to say, hey, let's experiment with with Kane playing more as an out and out nine. I respect that definitely. I think that's definitely that's not a stupid thing within itself. And I know that Conte spoke about wanting to do that before he was ever hired as Spurs manager. Um, but it kind of wasn't the scenario to do it in. And I think that it should have been given up on several weeks ago um, mm. because it's kind of night and day. Um, so we'll see how well teams prepare for Kane's movement off the ball in the next few games um, and how well Spurs can adapt around that, which may well be the quite novel halftime solution of let's yeet the ball up into the sky. <laughs> and, I, I, and, yeah. and against Arsenal and City, maybe not the worst idea. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So yeah, let's uh, keep an eye on that. But I think it's it's kind of interesting how you've arrived at that. I do. I agree with Nathan. I think Kane dropping deep is pretty much because if we ask Son to drop deep in the current form he's in, it's just a waste of time. And um, maybe there's not the confidence in Hill to do it. So let Kane drop deep and ping a ball over the top. Let's go back to kind of the basics. North London Derby last season, putting the ball into Son in a deeper area got, um, who was it? Is it Holding? Holding, holding sent mm-hmm. off. So I think off the back of that, it's easy to be like, let's let's continue to develop in this area. But it's 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 gone very badly, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I think this is... I do think, like, the system has not helped Son at all. But also, Son has to take some responsibility for his poor form in other areas of the game as well. Like, he's just consistently been bad for a significant amount of time now. Um, Yeah, but I do think as well that the way to get Son back to his best is to remove some of that responsibility and get him doing what he does best. Just, like, keep making the runs in behind and Kane will find you. And then he can get his confidence back, um, and we go from there. I think that'll happen. I feel I think Kane's going to get um, decent number of goals from here out. You think Son, Son's going to get a decent number yeah, of goals running in behind? Of yeah, Con, of yeah. Kane dropping same, deep. same. It would not surprise me at all if Son suddenly uh, upped his performances off the back of this subtle change, and then cash in. Oh, for sure, sell. <laughs> yes, thank you, buddy. Thank you for taking some of the heat off me. Uh, are you, are, you, are you hashtag song out? <laughs> no, well, let's not, let's not phrase it like that. <laughs> I'm hashtag um, step back, son. <laughs> um, we're very pleased to say that for 2023, we are going to be partnered once again with Athletic Greens. So I shall hand over to Barley. Do your thing. I started taking AG1 because I've always been interested in my health. But this week, I've also been interested in a lot of the in and out talk on Twitter. <laughs> so let's play a little AG1 quiz. You and me, Wendy. Okay. I'll say a word. I'll say a word and you say hashtag in or hashtag out. It's nice and simple. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Biotin. Hashtag in. Riboflavin. Hashtag in. Folate. Hashtag in. Vitamin A. Hashtag in. Spot on, my friend. That's four on the bounce. You're fully hashtag in. And this, my friend, as they like to say on Twitter, it's just a tip of the iceberg. There's <laughs> loads more in your daily AG1 hit. So, listeners, whether you're Enoch out or Enoch in, be AG1 in your body and start being healthier and smarter. You've got to stay healthy if you're going to force change. Lovely stuff. So, AG, um, AG1 supports better sleep quality and recovery. And it was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover, which cost him like $100 a day. So um, we're supporting them. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. 
All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Blanky asks, why Why did Jed Spence come across as so defensive in that Portsmouth mm. game? Is, is it that he's too scared to lose the ball and make Conte think he can't be trusted? I think that's, that's the kind of feeling, right? I... I mean, obviously, we we can only speculate as to like what Conte feels Spence isn't getting uh, right about how he wants his wing back to play, and that when he is seeing the pitch, he's being very safe, super super safe with his decision making, not taking his man on, not crossing early, um, not expressing himself, just checking back and playing the ball backwards, um, and it feels like it feels like. That's him trying his best to give Conte what he thinks he wants rather than that's the problem and why Conte isn't playing him. Um, but it could be the other way around. It seems strange because because at Forest he was running the game. He was he didn't force things. We watched him. He wasn't he wasn't forcing attacks. He wasn't he wasn't taking just outrageous risks all the time. Um, but he was definitely like bold. He was definitely creative. And there was a lot of of emphasis for him to be the one who who made the play down the right hand side. Um, See, so yeah, I can get that can be a different difficult adaptation. But it's uh it's definitely confusing to see him come on the pitch and pretty much just play backwards passes because that is not that is not the fault in his game <laughs> based on on the tape previously, right? Yeah, I, d- I don't think I've seen Spence play in the flesh because I think his his debuts have been he was either Forest away in the cup or Villa last week and I wasn't there. But I did find it strange. There was opportunities where the pitch would open up in front of him and he did turn mm. back and the whole crowd were like urging him to to go on and do something. And it's bizarre because he he would have been sat on the bench watching Emerson and Cessignon just run into dead ends and he could have done that but produced something at the end of it. Instead, he did the total opposite. So I, I'm not sure whether it's a confidence thing. I don't think Conte told him to do that and I, I'm not sure I don't know I can't figure out why he did why he played like so that so I'm, I'm definitely not saying like Conte wants him to just turn backwards with the ball every time mm. but I think that um, if Spence is towards the opposite extreme of making things happen every time and Conte is saying no let's recognise what the situation is let's recognise that there's space in the middle right now let's recognise that you, you're 1v2 um, 
let's get better at knowing when we need to take risks. And then Spence goes from being a super confident player who's continuously taking risks to now having to double check himself and, and think about what he's doing and maybe he hasn't got the hang of that. You've got this combination of instructions that are like not to the extreme of always just play the back pass, but also a significant knock to his confidence in his decision making. And I think that combination would make sense that he is then not taking openings that he may have otherwise had taken and and probably would be the best play for him to go for. I would add into that a third element, which is you're one nil up against a League One outfit. Imagine if he's the one that makes a mistake that leads to oh, a goal. Yeah, yeah, and he's never seen the pitch again, right? Right. So, so it's absolutely reasonable for him to be especially conservative in in this appearance. I think had we been like three or four goals up, I Not honestly down. think you'd have seen a difference. <laughs> yeah, I think you'd have seen a difference, Spence, mm. um, because his natural inclination is to run forward with the ball. I mean, it's definitely it's obvious that Conte. Well, if Conte rated Spence or thought he could follow instruction, he'd be playing because Emerson Royale's had such a poor season and Doherty's only just got fit. Um, so there's something about his game that Conte doesn't trust yet. And I presume it's that he feels he doesn't understand the automations at this point. He doesn't understand when to go and when to just roll it back to the outside centre-back, um, which obviously is Conte is a, a t- meticulous manager he has very specific requirements and that will be high up in his list of things that wind him up I imagine Hmm. I mean it's amazing the confidence that Emerson Royale has got everyone thought because he gets booed and gets (laughs) whistled that he would just kind of go into himself but he seems to be even more confident than ever (laughs) yeah I noticed that as well. Little body swivels and things. Like really unnecessary body swivels. Yeah. I mean, he gets his foot on top of the ball and he just rolls it and he does these back heels. And I I wish I had that confidence. He's unbelievable. And yeah, if only um, Spence had come on and just channeled some of that Emerson energy into that performance, (laughs) then finally we might be rid of him. You just said that you would like our young right backs to channel some Emerson Royale energy. I mean, I I think I want the (laughs) opposite to happen. Some confidence. Some like, just go for it. Sure, because sure. yeah Royale does there was there was one moment where the pitch just opened up in front of him and he did this diagonal run instead of just running straight into the space and I just it does his body not work properly the, the pitch was open and he should have just gone straight down even Sessegnon would have run straight but mm. he's just he's a bizarre footballer mm. we probably need to have a little talk about Sessegnon and I feel like this is probably an opportune moment um, it does increasingly feel like it's just not going to work out for Sessegnon at Spurs yeah. Are you both in the Cess needs to move on camp at this point? The thing is, uh, so last season it was kind of even between him and Perisic, right? They would, they would trade in and out, and even mm. earlier this season. But this stage, Perisic is, is getting all of the minutes at left wing back, basically, and it's no longer a rotational thing. It's it's Perisic's place. Cessnyong is is definite deputy, right? I think that's mm. that's pretty much the pattern we're seeing. Um, so obviously. Destiny is waiting in uh, going to be around next season. Um, so maybe next season is Perisic and and uh, and Destiny. But then like Perisic is getting pretty old, so um, kind of a difficult one to know how to manage. But it's like he's still like a young player. He's still like a player who needs to develop and get minutes and. He needed to have developed by now. And the fact that there is another interruption where he becomes distantly second choice 
Um, like if he was going to be pushing on, it would be this season, and instead he's fallen to to second place. I had I had very very high hopes for Cesson Young for a very long time. Um, he just he needed to like he needed to bring one more thing into his game. Um, to be like a a really top level wing back. He's still a good wing back. He's still perfectly decent. Um, like his goals and assists per ninety. Um, this season I'm sure is probably pretty strong, right? But He's just lacking presence in his game, like an ability to get separation, a physicality, um, being really defensively strong or some other thing that means that like the opposition have to take notice of him in some way. Yeah, Um, yeah, it's still a good player. And if he ends up being the case that like Perisic is too old, needs to be moved on. Um, I don't know what his contract situation is, and we end up and Session Young is again second choice left wing back next season. Like that'll still be one of the positions that we have the better coverage for. I feel like um, he's a perfectly decent um, backup left wing back. It just feels like that's not the trajectory that his career should have taken by this time. Yeah, I think the fact that he's homegrown has saved him from a, from from getting getting sold or moved on. I think um, it's, he's been it has been disappointing from him. I think it was a spell last year. Perhaps it was the Leeds game he played quite well in. And it's just there's always these moments in Sessignon's career where it's just like now we think he's going to kick on and he, it it never happens. And you're right, he lacks presence. He lacks. He doesn't scare teams. He's always the first player sacrificed when things aren't going well. And he, I I personally can't can't watch him take a little half lap around the pitch again politely applauding everybody everyone <laughs> applauding him when we know he's just not been that good he gets he gets the ball in really nice nice areas and nice spaces and I just think if that ball goes to Perisic a hell of a lot more happens than when it drops to Sessignon uh, Nathan I have to correct something you said because I will get emails if I don't uh, you said that uh, he was competing with Perisic last season but Perisic only signed in the summer ahead of this season so it was Regalon that he was battling out with last year and he kind of took Regalon's spot at the end of the season you're right um, and I think that Sessegnon, it's, it's basically it's, the situation with Sessegnon reminds me a little bit of when Luke Shaw was basically getting bullied by Mourinho at Man U. I mean, he just completely went into himself and it took him quite a long time to come back out from that and, and start to express himself on the pitch again. And I'm not suggesting Sessegnon has been bullied. I don't think he has, but I think he's totally lost faith in his own ability uh, and is a shadow of the player he was for Fulham. Um, and even Hoffenheim, it took, like he had a strong end to his spell at Hoffenheim um, and started, like it looked quite well established. Um, and I've just sort of, I've given up hoping that he's going to come good now. I think... I think Sessegnon will come good at another club, but he needs a fresh start. I just don't think it's going to work out for him at Spurs for whatever reason. He he makes really intelligent movement and yeah. he'll go somewhere where he gets found a lot and he'll start taking advantage of that intelligent movement and and maybe he can score like seven or eight goals from, from wing back or left back. Shouldn't he be found a lot by Kane? I mean, he has been a few times. Who's going to find him better? Who's going to find him more often? <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah. I, I sort of feel like... The timing's just so bad for Session because we're not playing front foot football. We're not we're not dominating the ball. We're not we're not a team at the moment that that creates lots of chances. We create very few chances, and we need to capitalise on them when we do create them. And maybe that will change again. Maybe we'll go back to playing how we did at the back end of last season. But like he he's not someone you'd you'd want taking your one of your few chances in the match at the moment with his confidence at this level. You'd prefer Perisic to be on the end of stuff. I think. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, and I think especially with our tendency towards more heavy crossing football with Kane staying up top and stuff, that's that's Perisic's game because he's, For sure. he's so good at getting the separation for cross. The one thing I want to touch on I keep forgetting to is um, there's a growing, um, I don't want to call it a narrative because that maybe sounds dismissive. There's a growing talking point um, about Perisic and Sun that Perisic is in Sun's space in, in oh, the yeah. left channel. Um, and that is why Sun is playing so poorly this season. And I think it's interesting thinking. Um, I think like if you look at um, like an average touches map, the two of them are like on top of each other all the time. Um, and so it's kind of easy to see things that way. Um, I I want to take a closer look at that. Maybe that's something that I do a video on or maybe it's just something I go away and do and, and, and double check myself. But I'm not seeing it that much. I don't feel like I'm seeing it that much. I'm not convinced by it. Um, I feel like the average touches meet in the middle, um, but that's because they're swapping back and forth and they're not climbing all over each other. And okay, yeah, Sessegnon is someone who's going to stay wider more of the time, and that means there's more time inside for Sun. Because um, there's the statistical situation where most of Sun's goals have come when Sessegnon is on the pitch and not and not Perisic. So maybe there's something to it, but mainly I feel it's what we talked about earlier is that Kane's been dropping deep, Sun's been running in behind, Sun's mainly yeah. got the ball in front of the opposition defence where regardless of who the wingback is, that's where he's not great. Um, that for me is a much, much bigger thing than whether Perisic is maybe cramping his space a little bit. Um, but the, yeah, the for argument sure. for Sessegnon playing is if you believe that they're, that, that Perisic gets in his, gets in Sun's way. No, no, there was, Perisic wasn't even on the pitch against Portsmouth and Sun took an eternity to get any of his shots away. Fair enough. Yeah. Completely agree. Uh, Nathan, great job on the Enoch Out pod with Billy T. Um, obviously, Billy T is is an exceptional speaker. He's very, very good at, at what he does. And I thought he put across his, his arguments really well. And to be honest, you found a lot of middle ground there, it seemed. Um, so we released that a, a day early for our X-Ups. And then I mean, um, put it on the main feed. If you get two smart people talking about this thing, you can actually have a proper discussion around it. Whereas a lot of the kind of Enoch out stuff is just absolute nonsense and drawing things in cups of coffee and other ridiculous stuff. Um, there is a proper discussion to, to be had here, but unfortunately, I think I think Enoch Outlaw have just gone so far to one side that they, they'll never meet in the middle. It has to be. The only answer is get them out, get rid, and it doesn't matter who gets there in, instead. And that's just not life. You can't be that far removed. You need to. All of us need to come a little bit more to the middle. And, and it was nice to have that pod where, where, where two sensible people had a, a nice discussion. And what was interesting is that both Billy and Nathan agreed that Daniel Levy wouldn't be selling the club anytime soon. Uh, and so we need to think about how we manage this with him still at the helm. And then literally a day later, we've got all this reporting about interest from Qatar in uh, in buying at least partial ownership of, of our football club. Um, how did you react to that, Nathan? <laughs> I fucking hate it, dude, obviously. Um, yeah, it's grim. It's grim. Um, it's 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 specifically the Qatari investment fund as well, which are already involved with multiple other clubs. Yeah. So like even like as a Spurs fan, I despise it. But even like stepping back to be just a football fan, it's like it's absolutely fucked that they're able to have even minor investments <laughs> in multiple football clubs. Like that's that's not right at all. Uh, like especially within the same league. Like Jesus. Um, in terms of in terms of like Levy, like a minority ownership would still keep Levy as, as chairman, and that was a big talking point between me and Billy. Go and listen to that pod if you haven't. But um, there's there's been an expression that Levy wants to remain as chairman, even in the case of a sale. So obviously this allows for that. Um, yeah, I, there's 
it's kind of its own massive, massive topic that because uh, it's not happened, it might not be happening. I don't really want to dedicate a whole yeah. bunch of thinking power to. Um, so the simple answer is is it's not worth the cost. Winning with with blood money is for me personally not worth the cost, and for a lot of fans it is. Um, and I don't feel like it's easy for us to find in middle ground. It's very hard for me um, come on this podcast and be like, here's why you should care. Because if you don't, you don't, to be honest. Um, and I think it's super hard for us to find any kind of compromise there. It's 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 really disturbing for me. Um, and if I hadn't made being a Spurs fan my job, it's the kind of thing that would make me right. turn away from wanting to be a Spurs fan. Totally understandable. Uh, so just to reiterate, the club have denied this. They have they have said fundamentally there is there is no truth in this reporting. Uh, various reporters are saying that they've heard this interest from multiple sources. So we wait now. We wait. There probably was a meeting. That that kind of stuff happens. They're interested in buying lots of clubs. So I I, I think a meeting did happen, but I don't. Daniel Levy's been to Qatar this year. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's anything more than that. Mm. Uh, let's talk a little about some of the recent transfer links and then we'll talk about Arsenal and we'll have a brief mention of Gareth Bale before we wrap up. Um, so the transfer links in the past week, we, we can just go through them one by one and have a, a very quick chat about each of them. Trossard of Brighton is such a weird link. Um, a, a right-footed, mainly left-sided attacker who sometimes plays as a wing-back. What are we thinking here? Uh, the first thing I did, I was like, oh, I wonder I wonder what of our existing holes in our squad they want Trossard to play. I guess the closest like to to what we need would be he would be a Kulosevsky backup. Mm. Um, but like he's played a lot of positions um, and a few different roles. Um, but right-sided, right-sided sort of chance creator is not really his skill. No. Um, maybe we think of him as a right wing back, but he's not really a carrier, not much of a dribbler. And again, being a, a longer distance crosser from the right, it's not, not something he's bad at, not something he can't do. So my feeling with Trossard is like, hey, here's this guy. He's Premier League proven trademark um he <laughs> he's experienced 28 um let's get him in and then if we need someone to play left wing right wing left wing back right wing back uh advanced number eight in a midfield three uh fill in for harry kane for 10 minutes playing false nine at the end of the game uh he can do a job in all of those positions and we just get him in and he's he's our james milner um I hate it, Nathan. What, I hate why it. Why do you hate it? I hate it because he's 28 and would cost a vast sum of money and basically plays the positions that we signed Richarlison to, to fill in. It makes absolutely no sense for our squad, particularly if we're going to do minimal spending in January. I hate it. Yeah, it's not inspiring, is it? I like him as a player, by the way. I think he's really good. I think Trossard's a good player, um, but I don't think he's a good fit for our squad at Just all. not happy with that one. Bloating our squad with old men who can do a job. Indeed. Um, Marcus Edwards' body was an interesting link. 
I quite like it. He's homegrown. He'll count towards that quota. Um, it's a shame that Brian Hill all of a sudden has, has found a bit of form because I guess they would both play in the same position. Yep. Which maybe, maybe make it probably won't happen. But I, I think there's a lot of sense to it. There's the buyback reportedly. We'll get mm-hmm. a nine million pound discount on him. He's English. He's young. He ticks all my boxes. Dicky, I, I don't think it's a bad decision. I think it's a bad decision. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm very pro Edwards generally. I think that we as a club made a mistake with Edwards through multiple managers, especially Pochettino, obviously who I come on and praised every other episode of this podcast. Um, but we as a club definitely made a mistake by Edwards. Having the buyback on him, that's that's good work by us. Um, it's just like, again, the timing is it came after Hill made two goals against Palace, right? Um, but it's also come after an extended period of time where we haven't had a backup to Kulisevsky because Brian Hill is too small and short. <laughs> yeah. Marcus Edwards is shorter, smaller, weaker, lazier. <laughs> a lot lazier than Brian so Hill. Like, a lot lazier. What, what's the point? Like if Edwards can, if Edwards go back to before Hill played a couple of games, if Edwards can play for Conte, then why can't Hill? I don't know. Is he weaker? I don't know because yeah. when he was running through our defence, he was he was handing them off like he was Jonah Lomu. He looked pretty strong and pretty. Maybe it's his sense of gravity yeah. that did that. Yeah, he's got mm. yeah, his hips are definitely better than um, the Brian Hill, which is strange considering Edwards is English and Brian Hill is from the land of flamenco. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm convinced that Edwards is weaker than Brian Hill. I think. I think he's stronger in possession than fine. Brian Hill. All right, fine. Uh, I think Brian Hill's a better passer. I think Edwards is a better dribbler. Yeah. Um, I think Edwards is nowhere near the presser that Brian Hill is. So you lose a lot there. Um, but I really think Edwards is really good. He played uh, as a false nine against us as well. He played mm-hmm. through the middle, didn't he? He did. He did. He did. He he. Um, he can play anywhere across the front three, essentially, but mainly plays from the right or through the middle. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, uh, Nathan's right. It comes down to whether Conte is now going to trust Brian Hill or not. If he is, then there's no point signing Marcus Edwards, just regardless of whether we get 50% off or not. It's, um, it's, it's It doesn't matter. But Bardi makes a good point about the homegrown thing. Like, we're probably going to move on from Tanganga in the next two windows. Uh, that's another homegrown player gone. So Sessignon. we're limiting our squad options. Sessignon might end up leaving. Um, who knows about Eric Dyer? So and yeah, Dyer's uh, not even homegrown for. It's oh, sorry. Of course, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, so yeah, it's it it makes sense from that perspective. Uh, Pedro Porro. Wait, wait, wait. One more thing on Edwards. Um, sure. You you've got you've got contacts. You talk to some guys who know some guys, Wendy. Um, I don't know about you, but I have heard that Edwards is disgusted by his time at Tottenham. Hates hates us. Would never want to come back. I've heard that from a couple of different people. What have you heard? I've I've not okay heard anything uh, that I would be willing to put on record. Okay. Um, I would imagine that he would be quite bitter about what mm. happened with him because I don't think he was treated well. Um, but maybe he's changed his perspective on that and now wants to come back he, and prove like, that he was good or whatever. Maybe, maybe. And I do think, like, he does seem... Um, he's quite, like, a an interesting character, Edwards. And I imagine, like, there is a lot of what could have been uh, thinking there. And, like, the Premier League is a lot better than the Portuguese mm-hmm. top division, right? Like, so it would be really hard for him to resist the opportunity to join a Premier League team, I think. I heard, I don't know, you, you went straight to Windy, you didn't come to me. Oh, but so of course, sorry. 
I swear I read something that he's got a point to prove and wants to come back and, and do things right this time. Maybe. I, I, I swear I saw that somewhere on the Discord. Mm. Which is a whole body, good Body ITK. <laughs> Don't believe my, his lies. My ITK never fails, apart from when it comes from Alex, Alex from Bristol. Your ITK always fails, and that's why it's so funny. Um... <laughs> Pedro Porro has been linked for several weeks now, but the reporting has has got a little bit stronger around this, and it does feel like he's someone that the club are actively trying to sign at this point. How do we feel about this? I've 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 come on this podcast and I spoke about my hesitancy with with this transfer. I tweeted about my hesitancy with this transfer. I did a video about my concerns, but also his strengths. Um, so I want to take this opportunity because we're linked again to say he's definitely like a really good player. He's definitely like an outstanding, outstanding final third mm. right wing back. Um, we could do a lot worse than Pedro Porro. We, um, we would significantly improve our threat from the wide right position with Pedro Porro. I think Pedro Porro would probably, probably be a really good transfer. I just think that the price point, there are safer bets. That's all. That's my, that's my main concern. Um, we spoke earlier about Jed Spence having the joy coached out of him because he might take too many risks. My main concern is that we end up with the same position with Poro, that he's too fun for Conte, and then we go back <laughs> to playing a rotation of Royale and Doherty. But I'm I'm gonna choose I'm gonna choose to lean towards optimism and say that his technical level is so high, his final third threat is simply so high that even Conte will uh will roll the dice with Poro. Yeah, I think the difference between Spence and Poro is that Poro has higher level experience under his belt and um a level of gravitas that Spence doesn't have. So while Spence is is a little too relentless for Conte, Porro's relentlessness will make less of a difference because he'll definitely have to play. If he signs him for like 45 million or whatever, he'll definitely have to play him. And I, I can't see Conte being that stubborn that he won't play a massive new signing because he's too rel- relentless. Um, I mean, I think like the upgrade is so massive on our current right wing backs that he'll just maintain his place even if he doesn't so. do the things that Conte wants him to do every time he'll be miles better than Doherty and so um, much better and Royale in the final third get him in he, he's got Romero behind him perhaps um, maybe we didn't touch on this that maybe Sessignon struggles because of who plays behind him in that in that third centre back role but maybe I think Porro with um, Romero behind mm. him would be something lovely to see yeah yeah Porro's a really exciting exciting player I'd, I'd, I'd be really I'm thrilled with that signing personally. Uh, and then goalkeepers. So linked this week to Jordan Pickford and David Rea. Uh, are you excited about either of those, Nathan? We talked about Pickford before. Uh, Rea is a profile is actually not too dissimilar. Um, they're both statistically based on post-shot expected goals, minus goals uh, allowed, uh, sort of average or even slightly below average shot stoppers. Um, but they're both really good with their feet, I think. Both mm. at least pretty good. Both uh, definitely good at the long passing game. Both probably pretty good at the short passing game. A ray better than Pickford at short passing. Okay. And apparently they're both homegrown. So I have, I have more yes. excitement for Raya yes. than I do Pickford because I think Pickford has <laughs> bad vibes, which is not very data nerds. Uh, and I like I like, like his vibes. Like, I like, like Pickford's. Okay. Yeah, he's got funny vibes. Like he's just he's a weird bloke, and I'm here for it. Yeah. 
most goalkeepers are, to be fair. I think I think that's true. Yeah. Hardy? Um, I went on record many years ago when I you called did. Pickford shit. You did. When he broke through at Sunderland, <laughs> I said, he's, he's shit. And then Sunderland came to White Hart Lane and he had an absolute worldie. He saved everything. And since then, I couldn't come down off my hill when I've had to say he's shit because that's that's who I am. But I have to say he's an upgrade on this version of Lloris. Sure. This current 2022-23 Lloris, Pickford is better. Um, and if Pickford is available at a cut price because Everton go down like I hope they do, then I would say getting Pickford is not a bad idea. Mm. He's an improvement of Lloris, man. Lloris, is, Lloris can't catch and can't kick. At least we have someone who can't catch who can kick. So there we go. I, I quite like Pickford, to be honest. I, I think both of them would be an upgrade. I think we could do better than both. But I think both of them will be an upgrade on what we currently got. I, I don't know about that. I'm yeah. bad at analysing. Oh, I'm not great at analysing keepers. And I've got more work to do before the summer. But I still think they're probably two of the better options, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm happy with Raya, I think. I think I'm into Raya. And the other thing is, it's interesting that we think of Pickford as being quite old now because he's been around for so long. And I personally still think of Raya as being quite young, but there's actually only 18 months between them. Um Ray is 27, Pickford's 28, uh, turns 29 in not too distant future. Obviously, that's significantly younger than Hugo Lloris. Significantly long, younger than Lloris, who is 36 now. Um, yeah. I don't think Lloris, um, I think Lloris will probably retire from international football shortly. And I, I don't think he's got more than another season of, of club football. It wouldn't surprise me if he retires. I'd be all right with Lloris seeing out his contract with Spurs as the number two, helping through some a number one and then retiring. I'd be all right with that. Mm, sounds good. Gareth Bale, an iconic Spurs legend, putting one of the greatest ever Tottenham Hotspur individual player performances, um, came back for an entertaining little cameo and has now retired. Uh, what, what does Gareth Bale mean to you, Bardi? So I put on Twitter earlier that watching Gareth Bale play for Spurs, it was a, a genuine physical and emotional altering experience because he was this individual that could just do everything. A lot of times you, you talk about footballers who are just fast or strong. This guy was fast, strong, technically top class, could do everything left on his left foot and with his head he was an incredible player who honestly it was a, it was a joy to watch him play i wasn't there the night that he he tore um he tore into to pieces twice i wasn't there either of those games unfortunately but i've just got so many memories of him just picking up the ball and there was a level of expectation around him that I've never experienced at Tottenham. And it wasn't just expectation. A lot of the time he delivered as well. Mm. That kind of end of run of the season under AVB, the Sunderland game, the Southampton matches where Spurs were just stodged throughout and then Bale would just get the ball and he would just do something incredible. Um, I was talking on Twitter to Kieran about the, the Europa League game we played at home to Lyon. And that was, it was a Thursday night under the lights. It was Valentine's Day. It was freezing cold. And Gareth Bale just scored two beautiful free kicks. And just, we were just blessed to be able to see this guy play. Absolute legend. Probably the best British player that's ever existed. Won everything. Completely not spoken about how he should be spoken about. An incredible player. Lovely guy. And um, yeah, a real pleasure to have seen him play at Spurs. I hope he gets lots of golfing for the rest of his life. Yeah. Yeah, enjoy your retirement, Gareth. Um, absolute disrespect from Real Madrid fans for many years. Uh, I don't know why he stayed at that club as long as he did mm. because he deserved so much more than than what he got from that fan base. Just 
absolutely fucking outrageous. Because uh, as... yeah, he could run like like Adama Traore. You can't stop him. Like Bale was that kind of unstoppable levels. If there was space behind you, you were done. He would just go past you. It was it just wasn't even a question. And he was just able to take that kind of Adama Traore, put it in to an individual who could actually do the other bits as well. Absolutely incredible player. Lovely, lovely, lovely player. You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nate Clark. If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub, who we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.